you can outsource your fiduciary responsibility without a PEP. That doesn't mean we're trying to be like a PEP because we were like a standalone plan before there was a PEP, okay? Hi, I'm John Sullivan with the American Retirement Association, and this is the Great 401k Podcast Debate, a series of point-counterpoint episodes involving controversial topics in the retirement plan space, and pooled employer plans are certainly controversial. Are PEPs living up to their promise? Are they lowering costs and increasing efficiencies for the smaller organizations who use them? And what's the outlook for their adoption? We asked Group Plan Systems' Pete Swisher and Plan Design Consultants' J.D. Carlson to weigh in, and as expected, it got heated. Pete, I'd like to start with you. Make the case. Why are PEPs the greatest thing to ever happen to retirement plans? <laughs> well, are they? Uh, the uh, I, I would argue that they are an incredibly effective plan design that's good for a lot of people. And uh, I've always said that they're not going to take over the universe. Um, they fit where they fit, but they are. Um, it, it, I, I think that the organizing principle is something that uh, any employer or executive of a company can get behind, which is that, you know, if, if, uh, if we were to build this from the ground up, um, how do we do it? You know, you're the plan sponsor, you're responsible for a bunch of stuff. There are downstream implications legally, practically. Let's put you at the center of that and offer to do some of it versus, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll be the plan sponsor. You just plug in. Um, I just think that that's a principle that makes sense for employers. Say something bad about them. What do they get wrong? I, well, first of all, I think that they are difficult for the vendors. So if we if we start with the principle of whose problems are we trying to solve, if we're trying to solve the industry's problems, uh, PEPs are really tough. I mean, they they are they they don't help record keepers or TPAs in appreciable ways. Um, and they create pricing difficulties and business problems uh, that are genuinely tricky to solve. JD, what's your problem with them? My problem with them is our- I'll get comfortable. Uh, our industry- Our industry 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, was kind of riddled with a lot of conflict of interest, different share classes, um, different revenue sharing, pay to play deals. Um, and we lacked trust from the community, from our clients. You know, we were seen as Wall Street. And then things got better. We started to use institutional share class of funds. We started to be very transparent with our pricing. We had less proprietary requirements. We were really on this good path towards winning back the trust of our clients and their participants. And now I'm fearful. The reason why I take such a stand against these PEPs is I'm fearful that it's dragging us backwards. And a lot of the peps I see coming to market are going back to the old games in the hope of winning the almighty dollar. And that pisses me off. And I, and I don't want us going backwards. I want us going forward. What would it take for you to like them? What kind of design changes would be needed? I've said this publicly. I'm totally okay with a national aggregator advisor shop deciding to build a PEP so they can be in control. So to answer your question, John, I'm okay with a PEP where the advisor takes the lead role and the advisor kind of building it out the way they want it built out. What I'm not okay is with what I would call industry PEPs that are kind of out of the advisor's hands. And then the advisors lose control and kind of lose their place in the ecosystem. So, so I'm okay with some, with it in some forms. Pete, do you agree that uh, it's taken us, PEPs are taking us backwards, that uh, we're going down a bad road here? I think some of them can. I, I think it's important to note that the, um, 
you know, to borrow a, a, a quote um, from Michael Krebs, uh, an attorney at Groom from years ago when we were first going down this path of MEPS and PEPS and it was becoming a thing a decade ago. He's like, there's this philosophy of let a thousand flowers bloom. And that instead of saying, you know, the entire industry needs to do PEPS exactly this way, let's, let's let the marketplace figure it out. Well, the marketplace is, and people are all over the map. And what we're seeing is there are service contracts out there with PEPS where uh, the same old story of pushing duties back on the employer, of, of kind of the central premise being employer at the center, let's not accept more than we're comfortable with which I understand the reason for, um, there's a lot of that. There are a lot of, there are, you know, programs where the 316 administrator role that's sort of built into being a pool plan provider, um, that the, the decision-making of the product is let's minimize that. Let's only, let's, let's only say that we're doing a few of those things, but the, the opposite's also true. There are programs that are trying to be true to the philosophy of the statute and, uh, you know, embracing the scopes of these roles. Um, and I think um, we're going to we're going to see continue to see programs being all over the map and that the, the best will float to the top. I love this guy. He, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, so, well, yeah, no I'm, fun. On board. I'm on board. <laughs> well, I love you, too, J.D. And in particular, I still want a poster of your Fred Reich episode, which we'll was do. a masterpiece. I'm a fellow this is, we'll do. We'll this do is this. definitely not going the way that I want it to here. Right? Enough with the love fest. Let's get if to I it. Comment on on Pete's point. Like he's right. Um, there, there are going to be some good ones, and I know we're not here to promote what Pete and Jason are doing, but I do think what they're doing is is a good thing at being an independent pooled plan provider. But I've looked at a lot of these contracts out there, and and dug through them, and they are just stuffed with conflict of interest. And so I'm seeing so many of these bigger ones and I just don't, they're, I don't like the way they smell. I don't like the way they look. And so I'm not going to shut up about it. Like it's not the right direction for our industry. Yeah. But JD, isn't it then more about a process and not the product itself? I mean, any product can be used, you know, in a negative way, right? It's not necessarily PEPs. It's just who's, who's applying them and how they apply them. But, the correct? but John, the nature of a PEP is to have, one record keeper, one 338, one set of investments, one pooled plan provider, one record, one TPI. Like it's, are you kidding me? It is a conflict of interest in itself. Like literally all those pieces are slammed together and you're forced to swallow it. As opposed to the standalone market, you can kind of remove and replace the ones you want and have a lot more flexibility. So no, I, that's, that's ridiculous. It's, it leads itself to being a conflict of interest more so than any other type of solution we have right now. Pete, has adoption worked out the way you thought it was going to? Yes. Um, you know, I, I, it was destined to be slow at first and pick up speed and that's what's happening. You know, when we, if you go back to 2021, when the first programs were launched, there were only a few early adopters and, you know, some of those were, have been a success and some of them not. Um, the, uh, you know, we now have a couple billion dollar plus programs. We have some large distributors who are, or, or large advisory firms, I should say, who have gotten behind them. We have some large record keepers who have moved thousands of plans. But, you know, if we look at the data from the Department of Labor, you've got maybe there were 80 pool plan providers registered in 2021. Now it's 130 or something, but there were only 20, 30, 40 PEPs during 2021. Now they're, we're pushing 300. Um, 
whether that's good or bad is really separate from what the marketplace is saying. I think it's saying that the wait and see period is over and people are starting to adopt these programs and make it part of their standard arsenal. JD, you think it's kind of holding back the ocean at this point? It's a done deal. They're going to happen. Well, they've, they've had their time to happen. And I don't necessarily agree with Pete. I think the situations where we've seen success with Aon and, and paychecks and certain record keepers like Transamerica, that's just left pocket, right pocket stuff. Like they were going to sell those plans anyway. They just decided for their own purposes that they would put them in a PEP. So that's not an indication of success. And I think Washington, D.C., the people who put this stuff in place, they're worried about the success of PEPs right now. Like it's not coming to fruition the way they thought. And I got news for you. I'm a third-party administrator. I live, breathe, and sleep in the micro startup space. We sell hundreds of plans in the course of a year. My sales team never runs across these things. They're, they're not out there. So I know Pete was never the guy saying that they're going to take over the world, but a lot of people were, and it just hasn't happened. And so I don't know when they're going to finally admit to the fact that these things are falling flat on their face. They're going to exist in some small pools here and there, no pun intended. And that's it. They'll have a tiny little sliver of the market and we'll look back and laugh at all this ridiculousness. You agree with that, Pete? That's all smoke and mirrors. They we're going to do it anyway, and now it just gives them a way to do it cheaper and kind of get away with stuff. John, slow your roll. It's not done cheaper. Let's we'll talk about that in a second. But sorry, Pete, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think uh, if you if you I don't agree, and uh, if you go back to the the central premise discussion, um, I, I think that there's a philosophical divide in how we create product or solutions in the industry. And it's you could describe it as a product philosophy and a fiduciary philosophy and the notion that you can replicate. It, it's kind of funny to me. There's this argument out there that we don't we, the PEPs won't work because we can do PEPs without PEPs or right. MEPs or whatever. Uh, we can make a MEP like solution. Uh, I don't disagree that you can imitate many of it. There's black letter law um, about what some of the differences are. But more importantly, the if the concept is let's imitate a PEP. The implication is that we want to, you know, that there's something good about that structure. And I think um, it, it, to me is uh, I go back to the plan design argument. Uh, if it makes sense for the organizing principle to be that the employer is not the plan sponsor, not the name fiduciary, not the party identified as, uh, hey, here are 300 to do items. They're yours because that's how the industry was built originally. I think we're witnessing a mass transfer away from that. And I recognize that um, there are going to be different ways of doing it than PEPs, but PEPs are going to be part of the landscape and they're going to be an important part. And um, they're, and just because they uh, a record keeper decided to put 20,000 plans in one, that's not a failure. Um, I, I think that's evidence that people believe in it and it's going to move forward. Go, J.D. Well, look, it's not that that a standalone plan can copy a PEP or wants to, the statement is there's nothing in a PEP that doesn't already exist. So when you, when you talk about relieving the fiduciary responsibility of a plan sponsor, we've had 316 services and 338 services available to plan sponsors since long before PEPs even existed. So that you can outsource your fiduciary responsibility 
without a PEP. That doesn't mean we're trying to be like a PEP because we were like a standalone plan before there was a PEP. Okay. So my point is there's nothing happening in a PEP that wasn't already happening beside the shared audit costs. And beside this new role of a P3, nothing else is any different. And let me, let me propose one thing here. You talked about like what clients need and small plan Washington DC put this in place because we lied to them as an industry and we told them this whole economy is a scale bit. We told them that we we're going to pull together all these small employers and that they're going to get economies of scale and get big plan pricing. That clearly is not true. So that was a fib. That was a lie. That has not happened. And what do you think Washington DC would say if we could go back in time and tell them that the economies of scale thing was not true? I don't even think this stuff would have came to fruition. Okay. Secondly, small businesses are the ones that are supposed, this is supposed to help small businesses today. When we sell those plans, my sales team, they don't add on a 316. They don't add on a 338. These are additional luxury premium services that small startup businesses don't currently want. You can argue whether they should want them or not, but they don't want those. They don't want to buy a Mercedes. They want to buy a Ford. So why are we selling, trying to promote? more expensive premium things to small businesses that, and I'll shut up, that cost more. It's ridiculous. It's backwards. So this is why I get upset about this. And I feel like everyone's been brainwashed by this crap and it's, it's not doing what it's saying it's supposed to do. And the only people that support it are the people that are trying to make a buck off of it. Sorry. That's how I see it. That's from the, that's the bottom of my heart. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I go back to, I, I've been an independent fiduciary in one form or another for about 20 years, a little over. And I remember back in 2000, you know, early 2000s, when the fiduciary movement was really just beginning, it's like every advisor, for the most part, was a broker. And there really were very few RIAs in the space. And, uh, you know, and we had this progression of, of kind of how things went. But ultimately what we saw is an embracing of the fiduciary role and change. And we saw, and what I saw in my career was that it may, it makes a difference that if you start with the premise that, Hey, we'll just step into this role. It makes a difference. Well, I think the advisor community has clearly shown that um, going from broker to advisor to 338 now, and all along the way, they kept saying, yeah, but we don't need to be a fiduciary to do a great job. We don't need to be a 338 to, to do great investments. Um, we, it's the same process, but ultimately they embraced the notion that the right structure was for them to accept discretionary fiduciary authority at the core of this thing. And I think that the, um, the, the, the flip side of that on the 316 is we're in the infancy stage. So yeah, 316 existed. 316 is, uh, if, if you think about what that means to an employer, uh, or what it ought to mean, if we were to try to describe it to them, it's like, hey, here's your plan document. It's 140 pages. There are 300 to-do items in it. And the tax code says the administrator is the person who operates the plan in accordance with its terms. So, oh, okay, there are 300 to-do items. That means if you're my 316 administrator, you're going to do them all, right? And that's not what we've given them. Yeah, no, read um, the contract, so, right? If we're going to migrate in that direction, then the the, the plan design that most fully embodies that how does that not make sense but do you and understand pete that in the in the startup micro market 
to do full, real, robust 316 services, that's expensive. That's a lot of work. And that is, and that doesn't marry up well with what they need right now. I, I totally believe, I get what you're saying. I understand it, but it doesn't make sense money-wise for them. Like they don't, they don't want to pay for that. So whether you believe in that or not, it's just not going to work in that. And so we're not going to solve coverage gap by trying to sell premium stuff to these, you know, auto body shop on the corner. Well, and I, I, I agree and I've, I've been there. So I've, yeah, I've been I'm there right too. now, buddy. I'm there every day of my life. Okay. Those are my clients. And I can tell you right now, I can speak for them, Pete. They're my clients. They don't want this. They don't want to pay for it. And even if I try to twist their arm and tell them that they should, because I believe that they should, they don't want to pay for it, buddy. So that's just a fact. Well, let's flip. Let's fast forward, though, because I, I, I do agree with you. They, they, it's a it's more than merely a price sensitive environment. And but um, I think that the this is not the biggest thing going on, right? Peps and 360. It's not the biggest thing going right. on. Um, the biggest thing going on is the evolution with technology. I think the future of this is for uh, this principle to be built into the system and automated and for it to work right and for the contracts of the industry to reflect it, not to add on another two grand for you know a service that realistically the employer just isn't going to stroke a check for. But building it in and trying to figure out how to structure it the right way from the start um, I think that we're on an evolutionary path and that I think PEPs are just a good plan design for embracing that. I would hope that would be true, that technology utopia you're talking about. And I want it to be true. And I think it, it will. Technology will help. But it doesn't need to be on the chassis of a PEP and nor will it be. So, But yeah, I, I see that vision. Let's use technology to provide fiduciary services at a lower cost that they can afford. Great. But I don't see the PEP as the... The one that's carrying that on its shoulders, but whatever. Guys, that's exactly what we needed. JD, Pete, thanks so much for joining me. Do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.